kids are curious about these topics, but most of the traditional schooling never turns to them and asks them what those curiosities are. So what we find is that when you do that and you honor those kids' interests, you're no longer force feeding them. They are actually driving and generating the topics that they're investigating. Welcome to the How to Have Kids Love Learning podcast, where we explore ideas and strategies for parents and educators to help students thrive. All right. And if you're listening and you're familiar or have listened to this podcast before, you'll notice that's a, a new voice. Give a, a warm welcome to Bo Brusco, who's joined us uh, at JLI and uh, will be co-hosting this podcast with me. I'm Ed Madison. Uh, I'm the executive director of the Journalistic Learning Initiative and co-host of this podcast. And today we thought it would be fun to just sort of, uh, in a sense, almost interview each other and, and sort of talk about uh, this work that we do and what you can expect in this new uh, season from our forthcoming episodes. Well, we're just uh, really uh, feeling fortunate to have you as part of the team. Uh, and, uh, you know, over the course of the forthcoming episodes, you'll be meeting all kinds of interesting educators and occasionally a journalist or two. And uh, you can kind of count on us to keep you up to speed with innovations that are happening in project-based learning and uh, not only in the work that we do through the Journalistic Learning Initiative, but also um, other projects and like-minded work. I'm really excited to dive into it uh, with, with all of our, uh, I mean, we have some great, some great podcast guests lined up uh, for sure, but uh, I'm excited to get into it with you too, Ed, because anyone who knows you knows that you really do uh, a million things, uh, a million... <laughs> It's true. You, you do a million <laughs> wonderful things. Uh, but I kind of want to talk about your origin story first, actually, uh, because, I mean, at age 22, you were already recruited to be a founding producer uh, of CNN, which is incredible at such a young age. Uh, and, you know, you went, I mean, a ton of different avenues uh, and various projects from there. But I kind of want to start with this question, which is what initially inspired you to, to embark on, on this journey? Well, I laughingly say that maybe I was uh, conceived during a, a Steve Allen monologue. And so for people who don't know who Steve Allen was, he was one of the earlier hosts of The Tonight Show uh, because, uh, you know, my trajectory professionally has uh, intersected both uh, journalism, a lot of areas of uh, television production, specifically talk shows, um, and education. My mom uh, was a fourth and fifth grade uh, teacher and elementary school teacher. And my dad was a professional journalist. He was actually a trailblazing journalist. He was the first African-American uh, to be hired into management at the Chicago Tribune um, in 1961. So he covered the civil rights movement and Dr. King. And uh, so I really kind of grew up with journalism around the dinner table. Um, we moved to Washington, D.C. when I was seven, and the civil rights movement was uh, unfolding. You know, uh, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was uh, a quite an amazing um, time, uh, both in terms of tragedies, but also social movements, um, women's movement, uh, gay rights movement, you know, just kind of came to the forefront during that, that period. And, and so I would listen to uh, 
radio talk shows out of Boston. Uh, there was a, a, a host called Larry Glick, a guy named Larry Glick. I just found this a face group, Facebook group around uh, celebrating him. But they had a very strong signal out of WBZ in Boston. And I would listen to this talk show to the, you know, in the wee hours of, of the morning. Um, and then another uh, show called Empathy that was, uh, uh, I want to say the guy's name was Fred Fisk, but it was all about uh, just things that were happening in the world, uh, current events. And so when I was 16, I uh, stumbled into a, a counselor's, high school counselor's office, and there was a flyer um, way before social media and post. There was a flyer on the bulletin board about a, uh, a uh, internship opportunity, and it required that you write an essay and then be interviewed. And they were going to choose three students from all over Washington, D.C. to be a part of this internship uh, program. And so... Interestingly enough, and I, I'm going to try to shorten the story here, but what's fascinating about this is that I got to the finals and one of the panelists asked me, well, you know, doesn't your dad work at Channel 7, which was kind of uh, a different TV station? And at that point, he had transitioned from print into broadcast management. And I said, yes. I said, yes, he does. And so they sent me home because they said that, you know, this is for kids who don't have that leg up. Like, you, you know, you're you. And so I was I was devastated. I went home. Uh, but then they called the next day and they said, you know what? Uh, one of the three kids that we selected decided that they can't do the program or don't want to do the program. And we talked as a committee and your essay was excellent. And you're truly, obviously passionate about this. Would you like the slot? And I was like, I'll be there tomorrow at 6 a.m. I mean, that was really, you know, so that was the beginning of all of it. And it's going to make me sound very ancient, but it was as the Watergate scandal was unfolding. So I was I was interning uh, at Channel 9 in Washington, D.C., which was owned by the Washington Post as uh, the Watergate scandal was unfolding. And that really cemented my um, my destiny. I think I, I, it really showed me that, uh, you know, it was a front row seat to history, but also the fact that you could get paid to uh, to put new ideas on television, you know, was, was really exciting to me. So that's kind of how it all started. It's interesting to me too, uh, because you said your your mom was an educator, and uh, now you're uh, taking your what you learned from your years in journalism uh, to the classroom. So when did obviously you're on this trajectory? Let's go back. You're 22, uh, founding founding producer of CNN. And uh, you went on to do so many more things. What eventually drew you to kind of come back to the classroom and bring what we now call journalistic learning uh, to today's education? Yeah, well, let me. So first of all, the CNN part of it sounds lofty and uh, it was certainly very exciting, but it wasn't it wasn't, uh, you know, James Earl Jones. You know, this is CNN. <laughs> it was it was it was literally almost bring your pens to work. Uh, type of uh, of a situation. We started very lean. I had interned for a woman in, in Boston at a local TV station while I was in college at Emerson who remembered me and called me and said, do you think you're ready to produce a show? And I said, sure, uh, I think I am. And she said, I think so too. And so we started with like, I was responsible for the, an hour of nightly entertainment uh, news on CNN, a talk show. And it was a, you know, one other uh, talent booker and interns, <laughs> you know, that, that, that were responsible for making that show work. And so I, I spent another 20 years in LA working on everything from uh, working as a producer for the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach, 
um, where you had to learn to say things like, you know, romping in Rio with Raquel Welch, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and West Coast producer of the CBS Morning Program. I had my own company that did, uh, you know, behind the scenes on motion pictures, uh, Star Trek movies, Eddie Murphy movies and things like that. And what happened was um, right around 9-11, I started to notice that the types of projects that I had been working on were becoming more tabloid. Uh, and it just really didn't fit my sense of integrity as the kind of work that I wanted to be doing. I didn't want to work on Inside Edition or Hard Copy or any of those kinds of shows that were on at that time. And so uh, I was producing a show for a and &E Network, uh, a pop culture countdown series. And every week we do a different list. And one of our episodes was on college towns. And Eugene, Oregon was unscientifically number seven on our list. And I came <laughs> to do that story and fell in love with my own story and uh, started to think about moving uh, out of LA and into Eugene, which is where I live now. And I'm now an associate professor at the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication. And, and so to answer your question, it was while I was looking for a dissertation topic. I mean, I ended up, I didn't have a, a, a master's or a PhD. I, I, I uh, uh, met some people at the University of Oregon and they basically said, you know, with your experience, uh, you could fast track this. You could actually enter our master's program. If you do well enough, you can, you know, petition to have those, you know, be considered PhD credits. Um, and so I, I did, and I finished my PhD in three years at U of O and then you know, it was all clear to them that I, I wanted to stay. And so that was a whole nother process of a national search and all of that. And I'm, I'm uh, very fortunate to say that I got received tenure two years ago. So, you know, my, I, I'm just really indebted to the community of uh, professors and who were my professors and who are now my colleagues at University of Oregon that I get to, to, to do this work. But it was while I was looking for a dissertation topic that I stumbled upon um, Esther Wojcicki, who's one of our JLI co-founders. And for those who might be listening for the first time, you know, the Journalistic Learning Initiative is a nonprofit. We're based in Oregon, uh, but we're growing rapidly. We're now, we've just exceeded uh, over, like hit the 100 mark in terms of teachers that are uh, implementing our work. We have other projects. We have a something called Black Student Magazine. It's a very cool uh, uh, digital publication you can find online at blackstudentmagazine.com. And we have a partnership with the National Urban League uh, that now uh, has that magazine reach kids in 93 U.S. cities. We're just growing in leaps and bounds. But anyway, I, I met Esther at a conference, was amazed by just how poised and professional her students were. And uh, that led to our collaborating and starting this nonprofit, which you know became JLI. Um, also, a woman named Tara Gruber, who uh, gave us initial uh, funding to pilot our work, uh, and uh, and so um, yeah, that's kind of how we end up where we are today. Well, I think uh, something we should explore is uh, what is journalistic learning and. What, what do you think the, why do you think it has had such an impact that, that we've seen so far with the teachers who've implemented it? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that when people hear journalistic learning and they realize that we're doing work with middle and high school students, their initial thought is the school newspaper that ex has existed in high schools and middle schools for as long as we can remember. Um, and, and that's great. That's not what we're doing. It's, it's certainly informed by what we're doing, but it's not what we're doing. 
it turns out that if a kid is struggling in English language arts, uh, most often they are required to take remedial English, which is an approach that has already shown that it doesn't work for them, right? And so when we talk about journalistic learning, we're talking about putting a journalistic lens that's project-based on English language arts. So instead of just the 30 kids that are part of the newspaper or you, you know yearbook in a school, our work impacts all the kids uh, so that it's required in English language arts. So what we do is we layer a 10-week project over uh, existing English courses uh, that utilizes this journalistic approach. And what is a journalistic approach? Well, first of all, it's uh, turning to the kids and honoring the fact that they have interests, they have things that they care about, uh, they have uh, social issues that they care about. It could be, you know, homelessness. It could be post-traumatic stress uh, related to uh, veterans. It could be animal cruelty. The kids are curious about these topics, but most of the traditional schooling never turns to them and asks them what those curiosities are. So what we find is that when you do that and you honor those kids' interests, you're no longer force feeding them. You know, they are actually driving and generating the topics that they're investigating. Now, that's not to suggest that there aren't things that they need to learn that they don't care about. But this is a way to sort of meet them where they are uh, and, and get them excited about learning and reinvigorating that, you know, that, that curiosity. Yeah, for me, uh, the how, how the whole approach is geared towards uh, instilling intrinsic motivation in them to uh to learn uh more about these issues uh and you know the sort of academic outcomes are just a natural byproduct of their own investigations uh it's just incredible work and for those listening here's a shameful plug uh ed's book uh who uh he co-wrote with uh melissa and rachel on the uh jli team language arts and action is actually available for purchase now so if you want to read a whole book about uh, the journalistic learning approach and what it looks like in the classroom. It's called language arts in action. Uh, but I have a question for you, Ed, which is if you were a, a high school student back in the day when you were in high school and the teacher asked you what issue you would cover at the time, do you know what, what issue or topic you might have been interested in, in investigating? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I have memories of uh, my sixth grade teacher, Miss Watson, and that we, you know, we were in Washington D.C. and the Vietnam War was going on, and she literally had us dress up in army fatigues and go down to Capitol Hill, and I wouldn't say like lobby Congress, but we were walking through the halls and everything. And it's something I'll never forget. I mean, you probably wouldn't even be permitted to do something like that now, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, it'd be considered, uh, you know, partisan or whatever else. But, you know, it was at a point in history where people pretty much realized this war is not smart and we need to figure out how to get out of it. And the fact that I have that memory even says to me that it was it was this realization that even at, you know, I don't know, I don't even know if I was, no, I wasn't even driving. So sixth grade, I would have been like, 12 or something like that, you know, to realize that, yeah, Congress is like the seat of power, but you can have some influence on it. You know, it makes an impression. So, yeah, uh, that is, uh, that would have definitely been a big topic to cover in sixth grade. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I, I think that speaks to the power of of uh, this approach. Is uh, how memorable it was for you, even in, in sixth grade. Yeah, and you were you 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 mentioned something about um, it was uh, self determination or motivation, intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, a theory theorist uh, DC and Ryan. They're out of the University of Rochester, and we cite their work a lot. And um, and they they talk about you know, and so when people say intrinsic motivation, what do they mean? What are the things that you love doing? It's not, it's not something that you do in order to get a good grade or please your parents or get into a good college or whatever else. It's just, you love doing it. And we find that this sort of journalistic approach is kids, it resonates with kids, that this is something that's excited, exciting to them because they are generating the topics. They are coming up with the people they want to interview. You know, they're, they're, in the, they're you know, they're guiding the steering. Uh, sorry, if I may, you also uh, reinforce that uh, through the journalistic learning approach because they're also going to be publishing and sharing their work with an authentic audience. Exactly, exactly. So when kids realize, uh, I mean, in my day, it would have been the like the, the science fair, you know, the whole idea that, you know, the community is going to see it, your family's going to see it, your friends are going to see it. It has, uh, it's not just something that one teacher is going to look at and give a grade. It has kids, in a sense, bring their A game to uh, to their work, and it's it's uh, it's transformative. You know, we continue to see that, and we've got kids, we've got teachers uh, out there who are uh, taking our work and adapting it, uh, and having kids create podcasts. You know, uh, some are experimenting with video. Uh, there are all kinds of ways to uh, to do this work. So we were really just excited about it. I can speak to that too, because uh, I've been thumbing my way through the Effective Communicators course, which is this 10-week lesson uh, and instructional plan that you mentioned. And uh, one thing I've noticed is that it's, you know, very rich as far as like, uh, you know, resources uh, in media uh, resources uh, to help teachers implement it in the classroom. But it's not constrictive and it really does still leave a lot of room for teachers to adapt it uh, to to their own students. Because, I mean, you know, students just from class to class in the same high school are going to have different personalities. <laughs> so so it's, it's nice to have that flexibility still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ed, uh, one of the last questions I want to get to here is uh, kind of a, a more personal question I have for you, which is for anyone who's been listening for the last 20 minutes or so, uh, you know, they've heard so much of, of what you've done and, and what you're doing. And it's very clear that uh, you as a leader here, a co-founder at JLI, you're definitely a visionary in the sense that you you constantly have these ideas coming. It's like this fountain of inspiration that's just continuously, uh, you know, spouting out new new ideas, new projects. And uh, I, does that sound fair to say? I, you know, I, I guess I, I think I'm a product of journalistic learning before we gave it that name. I mean, I think my dad and my mom, you know, basically I should credit them as being, uh, you know, sort of the, the founders of our approach because, uh, you know, to be 16 and Watergate unfolding. And I mean, I stood outside the White House when Nixon gave the last salute and got on the, you know, the chopper and flew off for the last time that sense of the fact that media uh, is so powerful and can really influence and make a difference in people's lives um, is I think what drives, drives that passion that I have for this kind of work. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, do you ever sort of 
notice any challenges though that come along with uh, constantly finding new new ideas, new avenues <laughs> to explore. Like, is there is there ever any sort of frustration? Yeah, yeah. So there, yeah. So yeah. So so I laugh. I so I I, I laugh because uh, this is a continual. I wouldn't say frustration, but something I think about, <laughs> and 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 not not to sound morbid at all, but I think you you too, Bo, will reach a point in life where you realize that you have more years behind you than you have in front of you. And so you have to sort of make some choices about what is it that you're going to focus mm. on? You know, what's going to be your sort of sense of purpose or your North Star? And, you know, uh, I realize that, you know, uh, in terms of accomplishments, like I don't need another house or another car or another award or any of that kind of stuff i have reached this point where truly uh you know my my focus is on contribution and looking at how i can take um the the gifts that i've been given in terms of uh, uh skills but also um you know I, i've had a very had a great childhood and uh, great went to a great college and great career and you know which continues um, and so how can I give back, you know, how can I, um, contribute from that space? And so I find that when I'm focused on contributing, like the rest of my life is working just great. If I start worrying too much about me, um, you know, things can, can start to go south. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, this is a sort of philosophy that I live by, if that's answering your question. I mean, and, and then in terms of having so many projects, uh, I think it's all about surrounding yourself with a great team. We are... Uh, purpose-driven or mission-driven, and, um, and therefore, I think we attract wonderful people like yourself who um, want to be a part of that and want to help it grow. And and so, to the degree that I, you know, delegate and continue to add at the right time, the right mix of folks, um, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. We have global ambitions with JLI. Um, you know, we've had all our materials translated into uh, Spanish, and so you know, um, probably insert. Well, we, we already know that we're launching a, a, a magazine for uh, Latino students in the spring called Inspirar, which is Spanish for Inspire. Uh, so that'll be our first foray. But I wouldn't be surprised within you know two years you can pull this interview out and I will have rightfully predicted that we'll be expanded into Latin America with our work. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, that I would yeah. I, I would love yeah. to see that. Well, and I think I think that's <laughs> okay. part of it, too, though, is uh uh, when I was reading uh, reading up on uh, journalistic learning initiative, uh, when I was preparing for the interview, I read about how uh, you know as as you relate to us, um, you listened to some of Esther's students and just how sort of uh, eloquent they and and professional they sounded, and then you thought, I wonder what effect this can have on children who are studying or going to school in in underserved communities. Yeah, do you want to speak yeah. to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, Palo Alto is uh, one of the wealthiest uh, communities uh, in in the U.S., if not the world. Uh, you know, Facebook is around one corner, Google's around another corner, and Stanford is across the street from Palo Alto High School. So you would expect that uh, these students would be pretty sharp. But I did both uh, qualitative and quantitative research. I, you know, spent lots of time there with a video camera, you know, uh, observing teacher-student interactions. Uh, and also surveying other schools and other programs, comparisons and everything else. And, and, and what I 
uh, walked away from all of it realizing was that it wasn't so much about uh, affluence or wealth. Uh, it was really about uh, an approach to teaching that connects with young people, uh, that honors uh, their autonomy um, and gives them an opportunity to, uh, to really uh, grow and express themselves creatively. That makes all the difference. And you can do that uh, on, um, on, a, on a, uh, a budget that's much less than what they might have to work with there. Yeah. So um, it's well, exciting. And I think uh, that's one of the really powerful ideas about it too, is uh, it is just an approach. You, you don't need to invest in a whole lot of expensive technology or, or you know, wherewiths or, or whatever, uh, because it is, it is really an approach. And like you said, it's intrinsic motivation but it's also, I think, one of the, another reason why it's transformative is because uh, it's empowering students who maybe feel like they don't have uh, maybe what they need for success, and it it helps them discover their agency and their voice. And uh, I really think being able to do that just in a in a classroom uh, anywhere in the world is is so powerful so if your goal has been to try to contribute as much as you can i i definitely feel like uh like you're on the right track and i feel like journalistic learning initiative is on the right track yeah we're we've uh, piloted some workshops in ghana west africa in villages where they you know they have very little in terms of uh um you know resources and uh and we have had the same um you know success and so uh, that's another of our goals is to expand our work into, you know, African countries and other other parts of the world. So uh, we have a we have a lot yeah. to do. Well, maybe, maybe that's where we should end it. Is uh, watch out world, okay. watch out world, because uh, okay. JLI is coming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so yeah. much. This has been well. Wonderful. Thanks for letting me interview you on uh, on your own podcast, and I, I look forward to uh, to co-hosting with you. Kids Love Learning is produced by the Journalistic Learning Initiative. For more information about our work, please visit journalisticlearning.com.